0: Hello and welcome to the Jubilee Church podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Some of you are thinking, how old is this guy? He's been around since even before Jubilee started, 26 years ago, something like that, you know. So, it's a real privilege uh, to be here again with you as a church community. We've just been having a great morning. It's been wonderful to see so many new faces, um, and it's just great. Mother's Day is just really hard for me, by the way, because my mum lives in Sacramento, California, and Mother's Day in the UK is in March, not in May. This is I, I don't know what to do. Can anyone help me? Do I celebrate Mum's Day? In March, when there's no one else, two, both, because we want to cover all the bases. We don't want to make mums do not want to be upset. So there we go. Thank you for that. I have got something out of this meeting already. Thank you so much. It's really, really cool. But it's a joy to be with you. Can you turn your Bibles, please, to Isaiah chapter 9? I've entitled this word God's ever increasing kingdom. And you've just had a week of prayer, and the week of prayers are so wonderful and so exciting. Best thing, best week of the year. Um, and just to join together and pray and see God. So I'm I'm just really hoping this morning that on the back of your week of prayer I'm going to be able to bring something of huge encouragement to you because we're going to be looking at the God to whom you have been praying, and the God who answers prayer and why he does that and what he wants to do. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, the first verse is kind of really well known to lots of people because it's the kind of verse that's rolled out at Christmas, carol services. For us, to us a child is born and a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's amazing to think, isn't it, that Isaiah penned all these words prophetically thousands of years ago and would have been extremely limited in understanding who he was even talking about, this promise of this one who's going to come. And here we are all thousands of years later, and we're saying, of course we know who it is. The answer to every question is Jesus. So it's obviously talking about Jesus, this wonderful passage of scripture. And often the carol services, that's it, finish that verse but this Jesus described as the Prince of Peace and, and this wonderful, wonderful counsellor, it's all about moving into verse seven. Because verse seven describes something he's come to do. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal... Of the Lord of hosts will do this. This verse is full of wonderful promises that need to undergird our lives as individuals and undergird us as Jubilee Church. Because it describes amazing things. It describes Jesus, who the government is upon his shoulder, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. There is a seat at the right hand of the Father, it's an empty seat. It's reserved for only one person who is worthy to sit on that seat and Jesus it says in the bible he did not grasp equality with God which is what that seat represents but emptied himself and became amongst us therefore God has highly exalted him to the highest place And Jesus has sat down at the right hand of the Father, which signifies the outcome of everything is established. No one else is going to sit on the seat. All authority is established. You've been praying all this week to one whose authority cannot even be taken away forever and ever and ever. You are actually allowed to be excited about this, just to let you know. (laughs) I know you know I'm from the UK and no one expresses any emotions, but just remind me where I am this morning, can you? And, and, and it's an ever-increasing kingdom. It, it never comes to an end. And I love that, that it's established. It's rooted. It's, there's no other authority. There's no name that can be named. There's no one else. He has no rival. He has no equal. He has established now and forevermore. Hallelujah. Yesterday in my country, we crowned a king. What you need to know about this significantly is I was born in 1955, don't do the math, and Queen Elizabeth was crowned in 1953. So in my entire life, I have never known another sovereign uh, queen or king in my life. So yes, it's kind of quite significant for a lot of people because it wraps around and it starts all over again. So a king, Charles III is established. The deal for us is this, however long they reign, it's temporary, it's not eternal, it doesn't go on forever, there's only one king of kings and there's only one lord of lords and his reign never ends, never ends, he never, never ever will be crowned again because he has sat down at the right hand of the father on high and so this verse is talking about his rule and reign, and it's talking about his kingdom and talking about his authority The Bible talks a lot about the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God. In fact, in the New Testament, 80 times alone, the phrase kingdom of God is used. Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God so many, many times. I just want to read to you a couple of things he said about this ever-increasing, everlasting kingdom because he wants us to understand something about what this kingdom looks like. Jesus said, it says in, in Luke chapter 13, verse 18, Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in it. And again, to what shall we compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. We could look up verse after verse referring to these things. We we'll just look at one other in Mark uh, chapter 4 and verse 26. Again, Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows. He, he knows not how. Again, verse 30, Jesus said, What should we compare the kingdom of God? <clears throat> what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it's sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. It's interesting, isn't it? These parables are not just nice poetry. They're speaking about real life. They're speaking about the earth. They're they're speaking about things that you and I can see. So we moved into our, our house 20 years ago in London the one we live in at the moment, and it has a small garden, um, and my wife sitting over here, Liz, she, she's the gardener. I cut the lawn. She does everything else. I don't even, my opinion doesn't even count. So <laughs> she's the gardener, gives herself to the garden, and one thing she decides 20 years ago is this garden needs to be transformed, and one of the ways to be transformed is we're going to plant seeds, we're going to plant potential trees, apple trees, plum trees, in the garden here and there, and then what has become known as a twisted willow tree, which when she planted was about here, and now it's just absolutely enormous beyond this ceiling. Its branches go out across the garden, across the neighbor's garden. I actually haven't seen my neighbors for about five years. <laughs> um, it, it, it's just, You can't believe how massive it is, and now, Guess what? Birds of the air come to nest in this low tree. Whenever I wake up, I'm just looking at what Jesus spoke about. He said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It starts as a tiny little mustard seed, and there's a process by which it then becomes much bigger than it was. And natural process, the, the, the universe, our planet, has natural processes in it. There are just things that have natural processes. So, for example, if you've got a room in your house that you don't touch, that you put stuff in, but you don't do anything with and you leave it, you don't tidy it, you don't do anything to it, the natural process is that things will begin to decay. For many of you, it's the teenager's room in your house. The teenager's still in it and hasn't noticed that decay is happening all around because there's never any reason to tidy anything up. If you, the natural process of anything that you leave on this planet is not that it will improve by itself, but a natural process is, is that it will decay. Now, God has a kingdom with a natural process that once the thing started and kicked off, it will begin to produce the reason that it started. So one commentator commenting on these two scriptures we've read about Jesus' opinion or statement about the kingdom of God, he says this, the final outcome is inevitable once the natural process has become. This is really, really important for us. Once something's been kicked off, there's a process that kicks in, which I'm just going to share with you what that is in a moment. It's just a natural process, it just happens. My son is six foot five. He wasn't like that when he was born, which is good news. He was tiny, he was just a baby. He wasn't, he wasn't bigger than any normal baby. But once he'd been born, a natural process in his life began, which means for him it just kind of went on and on and on growing because it was a natural thing to happen. Genesis 1.11 says this. We're talking about seeds of the kingdom. God's ever-increasing kingdom can start like a tiny little seed. Did you know that God's already planted a seed in you? Did you know God's already planted a seed in Jubilee? God's already planted a seed in Confluence. God's already planted seeds and he's got more seeds yet to plant. Genesis 1.11, and God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth." It's kind of like if you put the seed of apple tree, it's gonna produce apples in the end because the inevitable process has begun. The reality is for us that once these processes have started, they don't start later. I want you to really hear this, this is important. They start at the moment it begins. So there's a saying. I don't know where it comes from, but I really like it. It's not in the Bible. It just says this. All the tree is in the seed. Now that's an interesting little phrase, because I think it's what Genesis 1.11 is telling us. There's going to be fruit coming later. It doesn't come later. It starts at the beginning. All the tree is in the seed. The moment the seed's established, the DNA of what's going to happen doesn't come later. It happens right at the time of initiation, when it first starts. We are working with a whole load of church plants. I, I was, we just heard about uh, the Hague, I was preaching this church two weeks ago. It started as a tiny, tiny little thing, and now it's absolutely massive church community, planting churches all over the place. The thing is, we've got to understand that when you're planting churches like we are in Europe, it's really tough and it's really difficult. I can't tell you how assuring it is if you're 30 people in Berlin trying to plant a church to know all you need for this church to become what God has intended is already there in a little group of 30 people in a school room. It's not going to kind of come later. All the potential is there. Why? Because there's a natural process, because God has established something which is going to grow and grow. So let's think about this natural process that God has got. And there are three things I want to share with you. The first thing is this. God initiates it. And it's absolutely vital that you and I realise that everything we're involved in must be rooted in God. Unless the Lord builds the house, the labourers labour in vain. We're just wasting our time. If, this, if Jubilee is man-made... If confluence is man-made, it's not going to last. But if it's God who's established and rooted, then what God does never dies. It begins something which just grows and moves on. So the first part of this process is to understand God initiates it, and it's so important that you and I get hold of this. Take you, for example. If you are a Christian here today... The only reason you are a Christian is because God took initiative and planted a seed. The Bible says it's an imperishable seed into your heart. There is no other way that you can become a Christian unless that happens. And we live in a world where it's very, very easy for us to think that there are people who have amazing testimonies and the rest of us don't. And the amazing testimonies are these people who were unchurched, far from God, into addictions, you know, in, in, into drugs, alcohol, womanising, blah, 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 blah. And there's this remarkable moment when they come to Jesus. These are the people that we give get up on stage to give testimonies. And a lot of us who are raised in church are just sitting there thinking, I hope no one asks me to give my testimony. It's going to be really short. I was raised in a Christian home and I never really did anything bad. And then one day at a baptism, I went forward and gave my life to Jesus. (laughs) I mean, it's just not exciting. I mean, it's just not thrilling. Why would you ever get anyone to say that? And what we're missing is something really, really important. In Ephesians 2, it says, we were dead in our sins. But we have been made alive by Christ Jesus. It's by grace that you have been saved. You didn't do that. So if you're a church kid without an exciting testimony, I've got news for you. You're a miracle if you're born again. You know, where I come from in the UK, dead people don't do very much. (laughs) And there are not degrees of deadness. You know, the unchurched drug addict coming to Jesus was really, really dead. And me, I'm a church kid. So I kind of was a little bit alive, really. I'm not that. You are dead. Yeah. You're as dead as anybody else. And the only reason that you're a Christian is not because you were raised in a Christian family. And I speak on this a lot. I think there's a lot of church kids that think, oh, I'll just kind of go along with a crowd. That doesn't make you a Christian. You get born again, it's a miracle. And you're raised in church and you're born again today. You're as much a miracle as anybody else. You have an amazing testimony. I think we should give God glory for that. <laughs> God initiates it. Do you know God only, doesn't only initiate in you as an individual. He initiates us in churches. As Brian mentioned earlier, I was kind of, John and Linda and I, and one, maybe one or two others, I remember sitting in a circle of about 25 people and the discussion was, is Jubilee Church or what will become Jubilee Church ever going to really make it? It's hard to imagine that now, isn't it? (laughs) Because things were not going great. And now look. And now look at these congregations and look at all the people's lives that are being affected. Way beyond you, even though you don't know, it, way beyond this church community. So we can only conclude one thing. This church was initiated by God. Hallelujah. It wasn't a man-made thing. It wasn't a few early pioneers thinking, how can we make this church in St. Louis happen? It happened because God initiated it and he has confirmed it over and over again. Hallelujah. Your confidence in the future of this church is that God initiated it. Your confidence in your own life is because God initiated it. Second principle is this, God sustains it. He doesn't just start, he sustains. I get to cut the lawn. My wife, having planted these seeds, nurtures, waters, protects, does the hard graft because this little seed needs those things. And God sustains our lives. He waters us. He nurtures us. He gives everything that's possible to make this initiation become all that he intends for it to be. And so, for you as an individual born again, the seed has been sown, initiated by God. He comes to sustain. Jesus said, None shall pluck them out of my hand. Jesus said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. No one can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. I am not clinging on by my fingertips to God, hoping I'll make it in the end. His everlasting arms are all around me. I'm not carrying God, God's carrying me. He is the one who initiated it and he is delighted to sustain it. Over and over again, that's his purpose. That's what he wants to do. It says in the Bible, he who began a good work will bring it to completion. If he's begun a good work, he's committed, sustaining it, protecting it, enabling it in order to grow. Now, I have a part to play in all of this as well. I'm a Christian, and I'm part of a local church. No one made me become part of a local church. I decided to do that because I realised I will never grow as a Christian by being isolated. No Christian grows in isolation. They're like a seed planted in a, in a church which is like good soil on which to grow. But that's something I do. to so sustain my Christian life, I decided to, I needed to be with my brothers and sisters. I realised I needed to grow my Christian life, sustain it. I needed to become someone who got discipled. I, I, got, I became a Christian in my late teens, having been raised in church, but I was just going, please disciple me. I need disciple. I was, just, I was like a sponge, just soaking everything out of somebody and then I'd go on to the next person afterwards because I was just so zealous and wanted to grow no one was making me do that. It was my way of playing my part. We do play our part. The word of God, we need to know what the word of God, no one's making you read the Bible. You're still going to get to heaven because you're saved if you never read the Bible. But if you want to know the author and you want to know his promises and you want to know how he can transform your life, then I need to become someone who gives my life to being a student of the Word of God, so I can really kind of get it. So there is a part that I can play, but listen, brothers and sisters, this is what you need to know. If you think that what you do is what sustains you, then you are really going to miss it by a mile. Do play your part, but understand this. The one who sustains your life is God himself. You know, I had a friend who became a Christian and he was, uh, many years ago, he's a very bright guy, and he got one born again and he spent the first month of his Christian life reading the Gospels. And one day he said to me, I have discovered that following Jesus is really hard. That what Jesus asked me to do is really difficult. I don't know whether I can do this stuff. And he was telling me all the things he's discovered that are really, really hard. I said, Steve, the first thing, I'm so glad we're having this conversation just a month into your Christian life. Because the first thing I want you to really understand, the Christian life is not hard at all. It is impossible. And the sooner you learn that, the better. You know, sometimes when you when you're if you're on an alpha table or you're with some non-Christian friends and they're kind of getting closer and closer to the possibility of giving their life to Jesus and It's kind of like, they're kind of there. And I've had conversations with non-Christians like, if I give my life to Jesus, I'm just not sure that I'll be able to keep it up. I'm not sure I'll be able to be. And I just find this so frustrating when they come to this point. Because I want to say, look, just give your life to Jesus, come over the line, and then you meet a person. And the person is called the Holy Spirit. And the person of the Holy Spirit has been given to you so that you will be sustained through your, it's not up to you to do it. It's impossible for you to do it, but the Bible says the Holy Spirit is our helper. And when the helper has come into our lives, he is the one that sustains us. You and I are called to give over to the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit day by day. Are you doing that? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to come and sustain you? Because without the Holy Spirit, it'll never work. I can't think of an area of my Christian life where I don't need the Holy Spirit. I can't understand the Bible without the Holy Spirit. I can't even worship without the Holy Spirit. I mean, I can sing the songs, but that's not worship. The Bible says you will worship in spirit and in truth. It's the Holy Spirit within me that helps me to worship God. I can't pray without the Holy Spirit. I mean, when I do pray without the Holy Spirit, you know, 10 minutes seems like an hour. In fact, I'm just watching my clock all the time thinking... I suppose I've got to go on for an hour. I don't know how I'm going to feel this. But when you pray in the Spirit, an hour seems like 10 minutes. Because you've never been asked to pray in your own strength. People come to me and say, I've been really struggling in my prayer life. Oh, good, I say. The Apostle Paul also struggled. Romans eight twenty six. I don't know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit helps me with my weakness. I mean I can't think of anything in Christian life that doesn't need the person of the Holy Spirit. he is your sustainer and God initiates it but he also sustains it through the person of the Holy Spirit I mean getting on with Christians I found it so difficult I spend my life with people that I only spend my life with them because they're Christians I would never be with any of them if I wasn't a Christian nor would they be with me Listen, I've always been in communities, small groups. Every time I sit in a new small group, I look around at everybody and I think, you are all so weird. (laughs) How on earth? And the Bible says, love one another as I have loved you. I think, how am I going to love these people? They're all weird. (laughs) And of course, what I've missed is they're all looking at me and they're thinking exactly the same thing. (laughs) It's kind of, how are we going to do loving one another? Well, the answer is the fruit of the Spirit is? Exactly. Exactly. So it's through the Spirit that we love one another. And then I get married to the most wonderful woman in the whole world. And then after a few weeks, I go, how does this work? I need the Holy Spirit in my marriage. And then kids come along, and we need the Holy Spirit to help us to raise children. And those children become teenagers. And I still haven't worked out which is more difficult, raising the dead or raising teenagers. I just don't know which one it goes. It's just really hard work. And you need the Holy Spirit to work, and you need the Holy... And we could just go on and on and on. He is the sustainer of every area of our lives. Jubilee Church, like any church over the last 20-something years, has gone ups and downs. Great times, fruitful seasons, barren seasons, difficult times, conflicts. All churches go through this. Moments when you think it's all glory, hallelujah, and moments when you think, "Do I have to go again on Sunday?" It's kind of like church is like that. It's what it is. You're in it. It's one of the reasons. It's like it is. It's just kind of like, you know, when people join looking for perfect churches, I think, please don't join our church. You know, it's just like. You know, it's, nothing's perfect it's up and down it's difficult there have been difficult seasons in Jubilee there have been really great seasons in Jubilee ups and downs and difficulties and then there's a global pandemic suddenly thrown into the mix terrible difficult time for an embodied company of people that can't meet together do you know what the greatest miracle is for Jubilee? you're still here and do you know you got here through your brilliant technology? no Do you know you got here because of the numbers? No. Because your elders are so amazingly brilliant? No. (laughs) The only reason you got here is God has sustained what he has initiated. Third and final thing is this. God grows what he begins. You've seen that in these Wonderful parables of Jesus talking about this already. Even a grain of mustard seed, what you can't even see, will grow into a great tree. God initiates, God sustains, and God grows. And if I can just say this, and I don't know if you grasp it, he actually specializes in small things becoming large. It's kind of like <clears throat> that's the deal. It's small. How's this small thing ever going to become? That's what God does. It's part of the process, it's part of the promise of growth. Just like the decaying room will obviously decay, the small thing will inevitably grow because that's what God is like. God says to Adam and Eve, just one couple, I want you to multiply, I want you to increase, I want you to fill the earth. Six, seven billion people later in the earth, we're doing pretty well. God speaks to Abraham and says to him, you will be the father of many nations. Okay, I'm 100. Have you noticed that? I've never had children. Oh, by the way, my wife's 99 years old. And it says in the Bible, they considered their bodies as good as dead. But because God was going to initiate and sustain, he could take nothing. And so a baby was born called Isaac, one, and then grows and multiplies. Even Jesus himself, we don't often think of Jesus as this tiny vulnerable seed impregnated into a virgin's womb and the point of that is Jesus was the firstborn of a whole new community says it in Romans chapter 8 verse 29 just simply those whom he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn of many sons many brothers many sons are brought together I mean it just goes on and on and on what began with one is now Every tribe, every tongue, every nation throughout the world, growing, expanding. And round the throne, it says, there are so many multitudes, no man can number who they are. The small becomes huge. The day of Pentecost, 120 people locked away. Then there's 3,000, then 5,000. I love it. The book of Acts is just an amazing book. You know, Luke is trying his hardest to be very documented. It's kind of like 3,000 and then 5,000 and then multitudes and then all Asia it's kind of like running out of he just can't keep up with it well he can't because God's growing it at such a fast rate and of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end so the book of Acts comes to an end and it's only the beginning and there are now more Christians involved in what God is doing throughout the earth than ever existed So can I finish by saying that for you as a Christian, as an individual, this seed that's been planted in you, God intends to grow it. Really to grow it. For you to come to maturity. For you to grow in your understanding of God. I've been a Christian over 50 years. I just feel like I'm a baby. There's so much I still don't know. We spend the rest of our lives growing because God put that seed in us. And I can say this for Jubilee, your future is growth. You think, well, that's a bit presumptuous. No, it's not. Because it started as a little initiating work of God, a tiny mustard seed. God's purpose was a small thing to grow. And he's the one who grows it. And yes, that means numerical growth, but it also means influential growth. And it also means planting growth. It also means sending growth as wonderful as it is, and it always is wonderful to see new people joining this church community is brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. There will be more and more screenshots of people who are now being sent, yeah. who will now be going to plants. You know, the Bible's very clear, when the Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Maybe, maybe St. Louis is your Jerusalem, but there's Samaria's and there's Judea's and there's even the ends of the earth. That out of this tiny seed called Jubilee, which God is surely sustaining, he is going to grow you and grow your influence way beyond where you are today. And that's not going to come through your technology or your elders either. Final verse, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he or plants or waters is anything, but only God, who gives the growth. Growth is on God's agenda, not because of us and our enthusiasm or even our week of prayer, but because that's the principle, the process that God has established. Here, a lady many years ago in our church, who I knew, and she, our church was really growing rapidly, and she said to me at the end of the meeting, "I just want you to know that I'm leaving, and the reason I'm leaving is because the church is too big; it's growing." and i said it was really really sad that you feel you have to leave because the church is growing and what i realized she was trying to say was i love relationships and the church is now getting very big so i'm losing relationships because of size so i sat there i stood there for a bit i said you do know we have small groups in our church right and small is a kind of little hint in a growing church do you know what she said to me no no I don't like small groups and I thought I don't know where this conversation is now going you're leaving our church because we're growing and you don't like small groups she said because people get too close to you and so she left our church and she went to a church I knew down the road and she got there and then guess what happened to that church it started growing And I know she left it and found another, as far as I know, she's still looking for a small church that won't grow because she's kind of got this thing. Listen, you're battling against God. You're battling it. Growth is not something to be frightened of. And this church, if it grows and grows, you just find ways of making sure the relationships are there. The first church had 3,000 people in it. You can read about Acts 2. It was pretty relational. It really did have a relationship, and we can be that community as well. It's been my privilege over 40-plus years to be in this thing called New Frontiers, which started as a little tiny seed in the south of England, and just to watch what God initiated and sustained in now growing. So Confluence is part of this bigger family, and we're now working into 90 nations of the world with over 3,000 churches And I remember the days when there was just five churches and no one knew what to do. And The reason I just mentioned that is because it's just so wonderful to be in the purposes of God and to watch what he's seeing, what he's doing. It's great to be part of something way beyond us. It's not man-made. It's God's initiation. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray this morning for even this word, to be planted in people's hearts, that even this word will be a seed that will grow. And Lord, I I pray for anybody here today who's struggling, particularly maybe feeling, how do I keep this thing going? Would you please remind them that they didn't start this thing, but you did. Would you please remind them that you are the one who's promised to sustain them through all the struggles of life, that this is not about us keeping things going, And really pray, Lord, for Jubilee Church, that this church community will increasingly have confidence that you initiated and you have sustained. And you will cause wonderful growth at every level to come to this church community and beyond. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen.